All right, Trevor, say good morning. Let us begin. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Teves Dovi and Nina Elman for dedicating all of the Shiurim and Drashos this month in honor of their daughter Ayelet becoming a Bas Mitzvah. May she continue to be a source of Nachas for the entire Mishpacha. Our Day of Learning sponsors, Ethan and Cheryl Spiegler, for the yard site of Ethan's father, Yosef Binyamin Ben Chaim Mordechai. Allah shalom. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Shamal Haven Aliyah, and the family in Chama. To thank our Dafyomi sponsors, Dr. Moshe and Anne Ellen Givant, in the Schus of Rav Shemshin Rafal Hirsch. Incredible. The spiritual forefather of so many and one of the greatest defenders of our faith on his 132nd yard site. In the merit of our learning, may his neshama have an aliyah. Truly beautiful. And the Mayrowitz, Mayrowitz Mishpacha dedicating Dafyomi today in the Schosav Rafushlim for Shulamis Tova Bas Mindel. And the Merit Hashem, she should have a Rafur together with Kol Chole Yisrael. And Abosi, with that, let us begin. So we have, we have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. Thank you for accommodating the uh, the few minutes of, uh, of of additional earlier start. Merit Hashem, today we'll catch up. So also we're picking up today's daf is Nun Aleph 51, and we are picking up Merit Hashem on Nun Amidbeis 50b. We're actually picking up right at the first wide line. Tan Rabbanon. Hametzape, I have a, time permitting, I have a few, a few things we didn't get to yesterday also that I'd like to share with you, but Emirates Hashem will first, we'll, we'll focus on getting through the daf. So, Tan Rabbanon. Hametzape l'schar ishto rechaim ino roa semen brachali olam. If a person relies, literally, literally means mitzapa means looks forward to. If a person actively relies on the income that his wife is going to bring in, or rechaim, Ultimate rechaim is a hand mill. Then, if person waits for that for that for that for that income income of his wife or income of the hand mill in a roa simen bracha, he is not going to see any type of blessing from these things. What does this mean? So the gemara says schar ishto maskulsa. So what does it mean? The, the, the earnings of his wife maskulsa. Rashi says over here maskulsa. No telesma osnayim biada umahalechas b'shok lahaskir on the cholat suyichin tischar muatu umispaze ishto aschar muat. So this is very interesting. So this is talking about a woman who goes out into the marketplace and she earns her living by essentially hiring out a scale. She has a scale and she goes merchant to merchant. Do you need a scale? Do you need a scale? Do you need a scale? So apparently it, it brought in very little money. And at least in the times of the Gemara, it was considered to be a debasing um, livelihood for a woman. So a man, a man who has to rely on this type of income, that A, is meager, and B, debases his wife, will not see any bracha from such income. Rechaya, what does it mean, a hand mill? Egarta. Ultimately, again, that means renting out a hand mill. Same idea, just very, very meager income from this. Very meager income. So the Gemara But however, again, if one's wife actually builds or creates hand mills, Ishtabuchi mishtabich bokra. Ultimately, again, she is praised by the Pasuk for this. Right? She makes the sheet and she sells it. So, say, so again, a man who has a wife who creates things and then sells those things, that's an incredible school. So we'll say a number of incredibly profound, profound, um, profound lessons in this game are, number one, the need for a husband to take achrayis, over the income of his home, right? The idea that Chas V'Shalom shouldn't allow his wife to debase herself or to humiliate herself in order to provide for the income of the home, a certain sense of achrayis on the man. Now, well, so obviously, we, we, live, we live in times where often, you know, two-income families become a, become a certain degree of necessity, but it's a, but it's a sensitivity that a husband has to have towards his wife to make sure that in the support of the family, the wife is not forced to engage in activities that at the end of the day compromise her dignity. An incredible yisod. Tan Rabbanon. another fascinating Gemara. Hamishtaker, Hamistaker, I should say, Hamishtaker, that's strong. Hamistaker, schar, person who earns his livelihood, bekanim u bekan konim, 
So what does this mean? A person who earns his livelihood. Rashi says, So Kanim are small pieces of wood. Small pieces of wood. These are items ultimate. are small jugs. These are small items. So if you can imagine, small pieces of wood that are used to build fencing or home, kan kanim are small jugs. So a person who makes his livelihood through these items, he's not going to see any bracha from this. Why not? My Because since these items are ultimately used in volume, in volume, ayin hara besets them. So what does this mean? If a person makes his livelihood through pieces of wood, right, pieces of wood, so what's going to end up happening? He gets a huge amount of shipment of merchandise. People see that, people see that, and it has the appearance that he's very wealthy. Well, the moment that you, quote-unquote, flaunt your wealth, the moment you attract attention to your wealth, is the moment you open the door for eye in horror, for an evil eye. And the moment you open the door for evil eye is the moment ultimately that you run the risk of losing your wealth. So we'll say just a word about this very quickly. We'll say, what is this, in general, what is this eye in horror thing? So uh, very quickly, what eye in horror means is like this. Baruch gives a person brachas. If my brachas become a source of pain for someone else, then the Ribbon Shalom says, I didn't give you that bracha to cause someone else pain. I gave you that bracha ultimately again as a bracha. But if your bracha is going to cause someone else pain, I'm taking it back. That's the notion of ayin hara. So this is what Chazal sensitizes to this idea that we must be very careful kind of how we publicize our bracha. So if I'm blessed with wealth, and again, I'm ostentatious with that wealth, so someone else sees it and they say, ah, you know, Silver has so much money and I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Then my wealth causes someone else pain. I was saying this is true with everything, true with everything. You know, it, per, things that we take for granted that other people don't have. If my bracha becomes a source of pain for someone else, I, again, I will say, obviously I can't always control someone else's reaction. But if I flaunt my bracha in a way, which causes someone else, which causes someone else ultimately again to have. Is this not on? Is it on? Because yeah. oh, it doesn't look like it's registering on there. Okay. Ms. Arashi, thank you. Okay, I thought I turned it on. Did I not turn it on? Okay, so I'll say so again. So this 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 is the notion of Ayinhara. So if I go ahead and I cause, I cause someone else pain, based on based on the based on the bracha that I have, then at the end of the day, so the, the example in these items is. I'm making my parnas with high-volume items. Now, I may be wealthy or may not be wealthy as a result, but Lamaisa, at the end of the day, I have the appearance of being wealthy. So because of that, because of that, I just have to be careful. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, Tanabonon, Tagre Simta, Omegadli Behemadaka. So we'll say more examples of this. Tagre Simta means merchants who operate in an alley. They operate in the alley, in the shuk, in the marketplace. And again, highly visible business. Those who raise small animals. Or those who chop down good trees for the sake of, for the sake of their wood. They go and they sell the wood. So the Gemara Nosnin Ba'in Venosin said these are all examples according to Rashi. Could be that Magadli Behemadaka and ultimately again Kotzit say Asimtovas chopping down wood could actually potentially be illegal activities. But we're not going to get into that right now. The point over here is highly public parnasa. Highly public parnasa. So a person has to be careful with Ayin Hara in these situations. Venosin Ainain Bechelik Yafa. Also listen to this. Or someone who whenever he divides up something with his friends, always takes the nicest portion for himself. Eina roa simen bracha li olam. 
will not see blessing from his endeavors. My taima, the taube inchi, because he draws attention of people. Literally, taube inchi means people look at him. So we'll say, so Chazal sensitizing us to how we have to be careful with the optics of whatever it is that we're doing. You have bracha, you have parnasa, you have shefa, you have revach, you have abundance. Be careful about how you broadcast that to those around you. Turn around, on. There are four, literally four prutos, four coins, from which you will never go ahead and see brachara, which I will say essentially means four types of parnasa that you're not going to get rich from. You're just not going to see. And when it says inro simen bracha, as we're going to see, it could be that there's a lot of bracha in it. You're just not going to see a lot of financial success in it. What are they? Schar kosvin. We'll discuss what that means in just a moment. Schar mitur gmanin. We'll say, now remember, the mitur gman was the person who would go ahead and translate for the masses the shear of the Tana, of the Amora. So that was a very chashiva position. And ultimately again, Okay, I'm sorry. And ultimately, again, Shari Yisomim. So we'll say Shari Yisomim is, the, is peep, a person who manages, a person who manages the affairs of Yisomim, of orphans. So the way it used to work, I guess they would call it today like the executor of the estate. But at least, I don't know if that's a paid position today, but at least, again, in times of the Gemara, if you were the executor of the estate, you, you took a salary for that. And often they took very high salaries for that. And relying on Parnassa from overseas. Right? Relying on overseas Parnassa. Now, what we're going to see specifically what that means is you do commerce, you do commerce with merchandise brought from overseas, which depends on sea travel. So if you make your parnasa from any of these things, you're not really going to see bracha from it. So I understand why Chazal weren't so happy with the Torgaman, or why he's not going to see Simon bracha, because also the Torgaman did most of his work when? On Shabbos, because that's when the public shiurim were given. So it looks like you're getting paid for doing work on Shabbos. Now, of course, that, that's not the case. That's not the case. But it has that appearance. Most Yisomim, Nami Lav B'nei If you're executor of the Yisomim's estate, so sometimes these individuals took exorbitant fees. So fees that really were not appropriate. And the problem just is Yisomim, because their children are not capable of what's called halachic mechila, are not capable of forgiving those exorbitant fees. And therefore, halacha lamaisa, what, what, what the executors did was essentially a form of theft. Most have also the Nasayam, or if you rely ultimately again on merchandise brought from overseas, this is great. The Gemara says, you're not going to really see Brahma. That Mishum, Delav Kol Yoma Misrachish Nisa. Miracles don't happen every day. As I say, what does that mean? This is incredible. So if you rely on overseas merchandise, getting merchandise from one land to another land, one country to another country, while traversing an ocean, getting it there safely is miraculous. Is miraculous. So if your parnasa relies on miracles, the Maisa miracles don't happen every single day. I just want to point out, in a row simon you know, sometimes that phrase is used to highlight Chazal's displeasure with something. You won't see bracha from this, meaning Chazal saying this is not a good thing. That's not how it's being used over here. In this context, Chazal's just saying, you're not going to make, you're not going to really make a good parnasa in these particular areas. Elo shar kosvin, my time. I will say, but why? Now, kosvin, bepashtos, means sofrim, scribes. Why, why won't scribes go ahead and make sofrim, a sofer? Why won't a sofer make a good parnas? Well, this is incredible. Amre b'shev alivi, chav dalet ta'anios, yashua anshikinesis agdola, al kosve svarim tefillin muzuzos, shelo yis ashu. Alivi says that the members of the Anshei Knesset Agidola fasted for 20, on 24 fast days to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem that Sofrim, that scribes, should not become wealthy. Why not? I will say this is incredible. Because if they become wealthy, in Kosvin, ultimately, they'll stop writing Sifrei Torah, Tfilin, and Mezuzas. As I will say, we have a vested interest that there is always availability of these items. If the sofrim become too wealthy, what's going to happen? 
they're simply going to stop writing, right? Why, why do they have to write? Baruch Hashem made enough money. Call it a day. Close up the shop. We'll retire, right? It was, so therefore, again, Chazal Davin, that essentially they should be perpetually indigent, right? Perpetually poor. Not, not poor, but that they shouldn't become wealthy from their malacha. Isn't that incredible? So the Brayse says, those who write Tefillin, Mezuzah, Sifrei Torah, them, their merchants, everyone else who engages in this, including people who sell Tefillas, will not really make a lot of money. However, the Gemara says, Vim Oskin Lishma. But if they do their Parnasa Lishma, what does it mean Lishma in this context? Lishma means that they are committed to supplying these religious items to the general populace, even were they to make a lot of money. Right? Even if they did make a lot of money, they would still supply these objects. That's called the Shema, because they recognize the importance of their work. See, even if they make a an incredible parnasa, they're still committed to doing it. That's Lishma, then they will see Simon Bracha. Let's say, is, is, isn't that incredible? If you're committed to doing what you're doing, because you know that it benefits the Klal, and you're willing to do it even though you no longer personally need it, that's called Lishma. And ultimately, again, that's when you begin to see Simon Bracha. Quite incredible. So the Gemara goes right there. B'nai Baishan. So we'll say, so now we're, we're, we're transitioning back a little bit to our sugya. Our sugya is the sugya of Minhagim, which is really going to be incredible. The sugya of Minhagim, and specifically, again, what happens in two scenarios. First, we'll start out with what happens with Minhagim that were established, you know, by previous generations, but maybe don't necessarily go ahead and... Don't necessarily, my sheet says uh, recording paused on Zoom. Is that okay? Or do we want recording? Okay. A lot of Misa Sutton going on today. Mamish. Okay, good. So the, so the Gemara says as follows. So the, so the number one is what happens with Minhagim from previous generations, from previous generations that are no longer applicable now. That's going to be Aleph. And then we'll discuss going back to the Mishnah's topic about what happens when you travel from point A to point B. From point A to point B. So what happens under those circumstances, again, with your minhagim versus minhagim makam? Okay, so now let's begin with that. So v'nei Baishan, the people of Baishan, nohog delo havu azlinon mitzor litzidon b'mali shabsa. The people of Baishan would not normally go ahead and travel from Tzor to Tzidon on Erev Shabbos. I will say, generally, the concept of travel on Erev Shabbos is something that a person has to be very careful with. But Tzor and Tzidon were, were very close to each other. So Rashi points out over here that in the city of Tzidon, in the city of Tzidon, their Yom Hashuk, their marketplace day, their market day was Friday. So that was a day, obviously, of, of, of important commerce. So it used to be, it used to be that the people of, the people of Baishan would not travel from Tzor to Tzidon on Erev Shabbos. So they, they were mocked. Now, Chazal said, you're allowed to travel a distance from Tzor to Tzidon because that was a very short distance. But the people of Baishan were, were very, were very, they were machmir on themselves not to make that trip on Erev Shabbos, not to go to the market on Sidon or Erev Shabbos, they, they were makbid not to do that. So what happened? So the, their children, their children came before Rabbi Yochanan. So listen to this. So the kids said to Rabbi Yochanan, listen, our fathers, right? Our fathers, when they took on this Chumrah, that's because they were financially successful. They did not need to travel on Erev Shabbos to the marketplace in Sidon. We are not as financially successful and we need to travel on Erev Shabbos. So can we dispense with this minog, right? They took on this minog themselves. It was a chumrah. We, we really, we, we can't, we, we can't do it. So could, could we dispense with it? So Rabbi Yochanan, so Amr Lehum, Kevar Kiblu Avoseichem Aleichem Shneemar, Shema Beni Musar Avicha, Va'al Titosh Torah Zmechat. So Rabbi Yochanan said, no. Your fathers already took this upon themselves. This was a Kabbalah. This became the Minagamakom, and you cannot dispense with it. So it was a quite an incredible Gemara. Now, obviously, 
we have to try to learn a little bit more and understand what ex- you know when this applies when this because obviously min hagim do change they absolutely change and behaviors adopted by earlier generations don't always trickle down so again we'll, we'll delve into this a bit more but at least halochalamaisa we see over here Rabbi Yochanan saying no your forefathers took this on therefore you are bound by this minog as well supposed a very interesting case. In Chozai, so they used to separate our chala from rice bread. Now, obviously, you don't have to separate our chala from rice bread, right? You only have to separate our chala from bread made from the five grains. Yet, in Chozai, they had a chumrah, that they would separate our chala from rice bread. So, somebody who visited Chozai told Rav Yosef about this minog. Amr Lahu, Rav Yosef said, Well, someone should go to Chozai, a non Kohen, and a non Kohen should eat the challah from the rice bread of the people of Chozai. So, what was Rav Yosef essentially saying? Someone should go and publicly demonstrate that their behavior is incorrect. Right? So, Rav Yochanan said, So, Azar is a non Kohen. So, remember, in Chozai, they separated out challah from rice bread, so they would give that challah to a Kohen. So, Rav Yochanan said, ah, Someone should go, a non Kohen should go. And eat the challah from the rice bread in front of the people of Chozai to show them that it's not challah. I, but we learned, we learned about say that what the things that are mutter, but people are so things that behaviors that are permitted, but individuals or a community is machmir on it. You should not act in a permissive fashion in front of those individuals. I might as well say, if you go to a place, if you go to a place, and we're in the, in the, in the, in the community where you're in, people are machmir on a certain thing. But, but, you're, but you're not machmir on that thing. You're not machmir. In other words, I will say, really, it's more than you're not machmir. If you go to a community, people are machmir on something, but it's really mutter. It's really mutter. So if you're in a community where they're machmir on something, you should not act in a permissive fashion in front of the members of that community. Which I will say is just a simple yisod in respect for communal norms. Respect for communal norms. So the Gemara says, So therefore, how is Rabbi Yochanan saying, if, if, I'm sorry, how is Rabbi Yosef saying that an coin should eat the rice bread challah in Chozai? If the people in Chozai are makbid to go ahead and separate a challah from rice bread, why would a non-coin come along and eat it there when they're machmir on that? So we'll say, but this phrase is going to be something that comes up over and over. Dvarim hamutarim which means something that is really inherently halachically mutter. But people, people being, let's say, a community, are machmir, and, they, and they are stringent in this matter. You should not act in a permissive fashion in their presence. Amr lo, to which Rav Yosef responded to Abaye, So ultimately, again, yet Rav Chista qualified this statement that that was talking about kusim. Well, so remember again, kusim come up all the time. So the whole, the whole, you sort of remember kusim were, were a Gentile nation resettled in Eretz Yisrael by Shalmaneser, the king of Ashur. They converted. But there's always an ongoing discussion about whether or not Kusim are Jewish or not, right? Because they converted because there's an outbreak of lions. It's a whole discussion. So Rav Chista says, this is Dafka dealing with Kusim, that in front of Kusim, you should not act in a permissive fashion, even if something is mutter, if the Kusim are machmir on it, because the Kusim in general have difficulty with maintaining fidelity and allegiance to halacha. So if they're careful with something, you should not act in a permissive fashion, because it'll lead them to be lenient as well. But this is a din by Kusim, not a din in general. Kusai my taima. What's the reason why Kusim, you shouldn't act in a kuladika fashion in front of them? Mishub de milsa. Because ultimately, again, it'll lead to an erosion of their general observance. Hanach in shinami sircham sarchi milsa. So, so to again in Chozai, if you begin to go ahead and act in a permissive fashion with the challah of rice bread, it'll lead them to be lenient in other areas as well. Amr Avashi said, here's what we should do. Chazinan. Iruban orez achli lonech lazar ba'apaihu. Here's what you should do. Go back to Chozai. If the majority of people in Chozai eat rice bread, eat rice bread, that, that's, the, that's the majority bread that they eat, then you're right. A non-Kohen should not eat 
the challah portion they separate. Even though, again, a non-coin is permitted to do so, you shouldn't do it. Why? Because it could be that in Chozai, the reason why they're separating out challah from rice bread is why? So that the concept of challah is not forgotten. Right? Because if at the end of the, excuse me, if the end of the day, the majority of the bread they're consuming is rice bread, then halacha if they don't separate out challah, the concept of challah will be forgotten. If that's the case, then they're doing the right thing, and a non-coin should not consume that portion. However, but it's very interesting. But if you go there and you find that the majority of people are in fact consuming wheat bread, when I say wheat bread, bread made from one of the five grains, that in fact a non-Kohen should eat the rice bread challah. Why? Because I will say now there's a danger. Because if they're eating both kinds of bread, that means they're separating out both kinds of challahs. Here's the issue. The issue is we have to be concerned now that maybe they'll separate out challah that from a loaf that's made from one of the five grains and they'll separate that out from what? From rice bread. And the problem is they'll be separating out from a chiyuv on a patra, from a patra on a chiyuv. Therefore, it would be important for a non-coin to, in fact, go ahead and eat the rice bread challah in order to show the people this is not really challah. So we'll say, so an interesting distinction over here. So we look at what the people of Chazai do. If the majority of bread consumed is rice bread, then the reason they're separating out challah is that the concept of challah should not be forgotten. Then a non-coin should not eat it because it's important for them to maintain that communal standard. But if the majority of people are eating regular bread, well, Call it, may I say regular meaning made from the five grains, then they have a normal obligation to separate out challah. Then a non coin should eat the rice bread challah so that people realize that it's not real challah. Because if they don't realize that it's not real challah, they might think challah separated from rice bread is actual challah, and they may come to separate out rice bread challah on five grain loaves. And that, of course, would be halachically problematic. Good. Gufa, both sides analyze this concept a little bit more. So so far you see two cases. The case of the uh, of Bnei Baishon. So in Bnei Baishon, ultimately, again, it was passing that they were bound by the minog of their ancestors not to travel to the Shuk on Sidon on Erev Shabbos. See, so one example of communal custom binding or binding communal custom on subsequent generations. We now saw a separate case where communal minog developed, but also interestingly enough, I just want to show you the distinction here. In, in, in case number two of the rice bread, challah from the rice bread, we kind of, if you notice, the Gemara like drills down to try to understand why they did the things they did. So like in case number one, there wasn't really so much of like a drilling down to the reason. It was, this is what was done. This is what continues to be done. Case number two, there was a drilling down to the reason. Why do they do this? And then let's figure out an approach based on, so you're going to see minogim are dealt with in these two different ways. Sometimes that's what was done. So that's what continues to be done. And sometimes there's a deeper analysis. Why was this historically done? And should we continue to do it going forward? So just keep all of this in mind as we continue. So Gufa, Tivarim Hamutar Vachir and Nagubahan Isser. So we'll say so we go weiter. And the Gemara says over here, we said before that Halochalamaisa if you have an item or if you have minhagim that are mutter, right? Something that is mutter, but others have been machmir on us. So again, something is mutter, but in community A, they're machmir, they're stringent. Therefore, what? You should not act in a permissive fashion in the presence, ultimately, again, of these individuals. So we'll say, this is very important. You go to another community, another community, they're machmir on something. It might be, it's mutter. Maker Adin is totally mutter. And, and I conduct myself in a permissive fashion. You have to have respect for where you are and conduct yourself in accordance with local customs. Some Rav Chista, Rav Chista said, Bikusai. This, re- Bikusai askinon. This, really, this really only applies to kusin. Because we'll say since Kusim in general struggled with their observance, so if they're machmir in a certain area, you should not be, you should not act in a lenient fashion. But it doesn't apply to anyone else other than Kusim. Also, this is very interesting. Vatanya, we learned rochitzin shnei achin keechad vein rochitzin shnei achin Two brothers, two brothers are permitted to go ahead and bathe together, bathe together, but. 
they shouldn't bathe together in the city of Kabul. So Rashi says over here, we're not concerned, two brothers can bathe together, and we're not concerned that the act of being naked with one another is going to lead to any homosexual activity. We're just not concerned about it. We're not concerned about any, any immorality about it. But in the city of, of Kabul, they were careful, they, they were machner. They were machner that even brothers don't bathe together. story. Once happened with Yehuda and Hillel, who were the sons of Rabbi Gamliel. Right, Yehuda, Yehuda and Hillel, sons of Rabbi Gamliel, that they were once in the city of Kabul together, and they and they they went to the bathhouse together because again, and what happens? The and I will say they were the talk of the country, the country. I right? really what it means. They were the talk of the city of Kabul. Amru and the people of Kabul said, we have never seen such a breach of morality, such a breach of halacha. So I'll say, these are the sons of Rabbi Gamliel, right? Hillel and Yehuda. So what happens? V'nishmat Hillel, So what did Hillel do? When he saw, when he, when he saw the reaction, he just simply slipped out of the bathhouse. So we'll say, this is an incredible Gemara. So what happens? What happens? Hillel could have easily said, what are you guys getting all worked up about? It's mutter. It's mutter. But he didn't do that. Instead, what did he do? He simply slipped out of the bathhouse. It's not a bathhouse. But said, what does the story show you? It demonstrates a respect for Menagamakam. In Kabul, there are machmir on this, which also demonstrates an incredible, an incredible humility. You know, most of us, most of us, when we are confronted with someone telling us we're wrong, right? What do we usually do? We usually dig in our heels, right, and go ahead and shoot. No, nobody likes to be. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. An incredible Yisodian humility as well. Okay, the brothers—they they didn't do anything wrong. What they did was absolutely mutter according to the halacha. They re- realized that in Kabul they were machmir on this. So then, what are they going to do? Say you're mutter, you're all wrong. This was the menagamakom. This was the chumra in Kabul. So Hillel just simply steps out of the bathhouse. I'll say, listen, this another story. Yotzim. Bikur dakison b'shabes. You can go out. You can go ahead. Ve'ain yotzin bikur dakison b'shabes babiri. So, also you're allowed to walk out on Shabbos kur dakison. Rashi points out to a very kur dakison were wider, loose-fitting shoes. So the halachi is you're allowed to wear out kur dakison on Shabbos like uh, like uh, slippers or clogs. You're allowed to wear them out on Shabbos, and we're not concerned that the shoe is going to slip off your foot and you're going to end up carrying it. That's the halacha. But in the city of Biri, they were machmir not to wear kordikison on Shabbos. Listen to this. Listen to this. Once again, Yehuda and Hillel getting themselves into a lot of trouble. They were once in Biri, and they wore these shoes on Shabbos, and it caused the rash. People couldn't believe it. They said, with all of our days, we've never seen such egregious, terrible behavior. We've never seen people violate Shabbos like this. So what did they do? So what did they do? They took off their shoes, and they handed it to their attendants, to their servants. But they did not want, they did not say it's mutter. They didn't say it's mutter. They could have said it's mutter. They could have said it's mutter, but they didn't do that. In other words, they wanted to, they, 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 they felt it was better to respect Minagamakum. But I'll say one more story. You are allowed to sit literally again on the benches of Gentiles. And I'll say Rashi points out over here, this refers to like the benches that the merchants used to sit on. So you're allowed to sit on a merchant's bench on Shabbos and it doesn't look like you're engaging in commerce. But yet again, in Akko, they were machmir. And in Akko, they said, you don't sit on the merchant's bench on Shabbos because it looks like commerce. And one time it happened, 
that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel sat on the benches of Nachrim in Akko. So what's in as Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? Velaza alav kalamadina. And people started to talk. You know, it's always interesting also how people sometimes respond in a very exaggerated fashion. In all of our days, we've never seen anything as terrible as this, really. All of our days, never seen anything as terrible as this. Okay, it's human nature is to be a bit hyperbolic. So we never saw such an egregious Chil Shabbos. And what happens? Nishmat al-Gabe Karka, simply sat on the ground. And ultimately, again, he did not want to tell them, by the way, it's mutter. It's mutter. So, we'll say, so again, all of these examples, incredible examples of where you had situations of communities that were more machmir. So they were machmir on something that really was mutter. And yet you see example after example of great rabbanim who didn't say anything. They just simply respected the minagamachom. So going back, I will say this principle that the Gemara espoused of tvarim hamutarim va'achirim nagubahen iser. Things that are mutter, but communities that are machmir, you should not act in a permissive fashion in that community. Rav Chista said it only applies to Kusim. The Gemara says, you see clearly, it doesn't just apply to Kusim. It applies to regular Jewish communities as well. To which the Gemara says, you're right, except, All of these examples, I will say, were examples of faraway lands. Faraway lands. And in faraway lands, they often did not have a presence of Rabbanim. And therefore, again, their halachic knowledge was often very limited. So therefore, it was necessary for these communities to maintain their chumras in order that halacha lamaisa, their level of observance was properly maintained as well. Now, I know what you're thinking. Akko, Akko is Eretz Yisrael. We'll say, but remember, again, we see multiple examples of this, that Akko, in certain respects, because also it's at the tip of Eretz Yisrael, was often considered to be a little bit like Michutz Lamachana, a little bit out. And again, so even though it was part of Eretz Yisrael, it was part of Eretz Yisrael, it's the first mission in Gittin, right, that Akko is considered to be the, is the border of Eretz Yisrael for Gittin purposes, but it was considered to be a bit more removed from the general communities, and therefore again, Halach is like a place that doesn't have Rabbanim. So you see, again, we brought in this concept a little bit, that it appears right now that if a community is machmir on something and that becomes the communal norm, you should not act in a permissive fashion in that community. But again, yet we see sometimes, as we saw in the rice bread situation, that we drill down to understand why they're machmir. But yet in other places, we don't drill down. If that's the chumrah, that's the chumrah. So there seems to be a distinction between places where chumras were adapted because they needed to be adapted to hold the line of communal observance, those chumras we don't touch. Versus other times where maybe chumras were created, maybe perhaps out of a sense of ignorance or a misunderstanding, then perhaps we could go ahead and drill down and maybe even dissolve some of those minhagim. So again, we'll continue to clarify. So I understand in the case uh, now we're going back to kind of analyze these episodes a little bit. So I understand the situation ultimately, again, of sitting on the benches of the Gentile merchants. I understand why that's problematic on Shabbos because it looks like you're engaging in commerce. I understand the wide, loose shoes. Again, the concern over there being that maybe they'll come off and you'll come to carry them. In other words, I understand those chumras. I understand those chumras. I understand why a community would have you can't sit on the merchant's bench on Shabbos. You can't wear the wide, loose-fitting shoes. Those make sense. Elurochtzin maitaima. Why was it in Kabul that they legislated that brothers can't bathe together? In other words, what, 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 what was exactly the, the nature of the need for that particular Chumrah? The Gemara is listening to this. Elurochtzin maitaima. Kidisanya. Imakol adam rochitz. A person could bathe with anyone who he wants. Chutz. With the exception of his father, his father-in-law, the husband of his mother, and the husband of his sister. So I'll say, so Rashi points out over here, again, if he sees his father naked, so again, he sees the nakedness, he sees, so to speak, 
from where he came from, if his father-in-law from where his wife came from, Bal Imo, this is a man who has relations with his mother. Balachoso, Rashi points out, it could lead a person to impure thoughts about his sister. Rabbi Huda Matir Ba'aviv, Mipnei Kavod Aviv. Rabbi Huda says that Allah Chalamaisa, you're allowed to bathe with your father if your father needs your assistance. Father needs your assistance. Vuadin Bal Imo, same thing again, ultimately with your Mother's husband. And in Kabul, what they said is, they, they prohibited brothers from bathing together, lest you come to bathe with your brother-in-law. So the Gemara says, Tana, tamid lo yirch, rabo. A Tamid, a student, should not wash, should not bathe with his Rebbe. But ultimately, again, if his Rebbe needs assistance, then the Talmud is permitted to go ahead and bathe with the Rebbe. But say just um, an, an incredible Gemara also about the need for Tznius, right? The, 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 oh, even in a bathhouse, you would have thought, again, a bathhouse, so that every, everybody's there. Now, even in the context of a bathhouse, there's a concept of Tznius also. Even in a mikvah, there's a concept ultimately, again, of Tznius as well, of just a sense of modesty. So the Gemara goes right there. He says as follows. He's Achal di Ayasra. So we'll say, so listen to this. It's actually very interesting. So when Rabbi Barchana came from Meretz Yisrael to Bavel, ultimately again he was eating di Yasra. So Rashi points out over here what's di Ayasra. So Rashi says, Chelev Shebekfifa Sakeva, Shakeva Kafufa. Now we'll say, interestingly enough, the, normally, the fat on the stomach is chilev. You're not allowed to eat it. There's fat on one part of the stomach. You know, the Gemara makes it, the Rashi makes it interesting, the curved part of the stomach, the flat part of the stomach. So technically speaking, there is permitted fat on the stomach. Now, generally, in Bavel, as we're going to see, they just didn't eat any of the stomach fat. So the fat around the stomach, because they just felt they grouped it all as asr. In Eretz Yisrael, they consumed the permitted fat. So watch this. So Rabbi Rabbi Rachana came from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel. So in Eretz Yisrael, they ate the fat. In Bavel, they didn't eat the fat. So Rabbi Rachana comes along, Bavel, and in Bavel, he was still eating the diasra. So right, he was eating this permitted fat. So what happened? So Rav Avira and Rav Ravuna came to him. When he saw them coming, Rav Rachana covered up the diyasra. He covered up the fat. Covered up the fat. In other words, so remember again, he was in Eretz Yisrael where it was permitted. He was in Bavel where they didn't eat it. He was eating it. He saw these Rabbanon from Bavel coming along, so he covered it up. So these two Rabbanim came and they told Abaye, they said, Rabbi Rabbanim was eating fat from the stomach. So, so interesting, Rabbi said to Rabbi Yosef, you're treating us like kusim. What does it mean you're treating us like kusim? In other words, that you went ahead and you, you're going ahead and you are covering up the chalev that you're eating. Now again, technically speaking, you're eating permitted chalev. You come from Eretz Yisrael, it's fine. And we understand what you're doing. The fact that you covered up the chalev and wouldn't hid from us what you're doing, treated us like kusim. But does Rabbi Barbarachana not subscribe to the concept that in general, when you travel from one location to another, you are given the chumras of the place you left and the chumras of the place in which you are currently situated. In which case, again, in Bavel, they don't eat this fat. So how are you eating the fat? This is only true if you're traveling within Bavel within Eretz Yisrael. Inami Bavel Eretz Yisrael. Or if you're traveling from Bavel to Eretz Yisrael. Avam Eretz Yisrael of Bavel lo. But if you're traveling from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, that is not the case. Why? Kevan da'anan kaifinan lei luhu avdinan kavasaychur. I both say in general, Eretz Yisrael was considered to be halachically dominant to Bavel. So therefore, again, Bavel is always subservient to Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, normally, if you travel within Eretz Yisrael, travel within Bavel, yes, you have to respect the Minag HaMakom. But if you travel from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel, you are permitted to take your Eretz Yisrael Minhagim 
with you. Therefore, again, Rabbi Barbarachan was permitted to go ahead and eat this particular type of fat. Ravashi says, no, even Meretzel So we'll say, when do we say that ultimately, again, you have to observe the Minagabakum of where you are? That's only if it's your intention not to return. However, that's only if it's, that's only if your, your intention is not to return. However, Rabbi Rachana intended to return. I will say, this is another incredible twist of, twist of events over here, which again we'll delve into as well, which is this notion, here's what we have. We have that when you come to a place that has different minhagim than your own, essentially, you have two sets of chumras. The chumras from where you come from, and the chumras from where you are. But now we see that there is a distinction when your intention is to go back to your original place of origin. So if you're going from Balotar, so you're going from location A to location B, you come to location B, you have to be vigilant of the Chumras of where you came from, the Chumras of where you are. But if your intention is to go back home, it could be that that changes. And it could be that you have the ability to retain some of your hometown minhagim, even in the place in which you are currently situated. So just, just keep that in mind. We, we will hopefully weave this all together. So the Gemara goes weiter. Amri Rabbi Rachan al-Abrei. So Rabbi said to his son, Bini, lo socha lo bifanai, velo shelo bifanai. I said, well, listen to this. Rabbi Rachan said to his son, so I'll say, so now I remember again, they were from Eretz Yisrael, they're now in Bavel. So Rabbi Rachan was just the one who was just eating the chaylev, the permitted fat from the stomach. So now he says to his son, listen, my son, I don't want you eating this fat while we are in Bavel. Not in front of me, not when you're not in front of me. So this is incredible. Rabbi Yochanan says, listen, my Rebbe was Rabbi Yochanan. I saw Rabbi Yochanan eat this type of fat. So therefore, I have a right to go ahead and eat it in Babel, in Eretz Yisrael and in Babel. But you, my son, who never saw Rabbi Yochanan, all you saw was you saw me. While we're in Babel, you don't have a right to go ahead and consume this fat at all. So yet, Rabbi said, they seem to contradict another statement that Rabbi Rabbi Because Rabbi Rabbi said, Rabbi Yochanan once told me, One time I entered after Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Yossi ben Lakunya to a garden, to a garden. Ahmed Beis, V'natal svichi kruv, V'achal v'nasan li. And Abba said, he ate the aftergrowth of the cabbage. He ate it, and then he gave to me, My son, when you're in front of me, eat it. But when you're not in my presence, don't eat it. How so? Sorry. I, I, Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Yossi, Right, I who saw Reb Shemayochai eat this, the aftergrowth of cabbage. I'll say just very quickly, the aftergrowth of cabbage. There's a din by Shmita of Svichin, of Svichin, of in general what happens. A general Svichin, I'll say, means that when you have a plant, sometimes or an item that's growing, sometimes a seed comes off that plant, falls into the earth, and grows on its own. By Shmita. There is a concept of not eating svichin, not eating things that grew from a seed that fell off another existing plant. The concern about that is that if we allow you to eat svichin, you may come to go ahead and actively plant things on the Shemitah year. Cabbage seems to be an exception to this rule. Cabbage, because ultimately, again, the svich and the aftergrowth of the cabbage actually grows from the original plant itself. Therefore, it doesn't have the din of svich. And again, we don't have to get too much into the halacha of Shemitah right now, but just understand that the aftergrowth of cabbage is going to be treated in the after, treated differently than the aftergrowth of anything else. So you see over here that what's happening, so you see that Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon ben Rabiosi is walking into the garden. And what happens? So this is, so this is Rabbi Yochanan, just follow the names here. Rabbi Yochanan ben Alazar is following Rabbi Shem Rabbi into the garden. And Rabbi Shem Rabbi says to him, he t- goes and he takes the aftergrowth of the cabbage, he eats it, 
and he gave it to me to eat as well. And he said to me, my son, Bini, Befanai Echol, you could eat the aftergrowth of the cabbage in my presence. Shalom Befanai Lo Socha, but don't eat the aftergrowth of the cabbage when you're not in my presence. Ani Shira Isi Shem Yochai Sha'achal, me, me, this is me being Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon Reb Yossi. I saw Reb Shimon Ba Yochai eat Svichin of cabbage. So because I learned this halacha directly from the source, Rashbi could be relied on both in his presence as well as not in his presence. Ata, but you, who only learns halacha from me, not from an original source, you can eat it in my presence, but you can't go ahead and eat it not in my presence. I will say the Gemara just pointed out over here that Rabbi Barbarachana seems to be contradicting himself because here Rabbi Barbarachana says over this story in the name of Rabbi Yochanan ben Elazar. Yet when it came to the diyasra, when it came to the permitted stomach fat that they would eat in Eretz Yisrael, not eat in Babel, what did Rabbi Barbarachana say to his son? What did he say to his son? When we're in Babel, I don't want you eating this at all. I don't want you eating it at all. Whether you're in my presence, not in my presence. I could eat it, right? Because he said, I learned it from who? Rabbi Yochanan, right? I learned from Rabbi Yochanan. So I could eat this fat even in Bava. But you, my son, you can't eat it at all. The Gemara was just pointing out, it's interesting, because here he's telling his son, you can't eat it at all. Yet the story that he pointed out about the Svichin, ultimately, again, Ultimately, Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Rayosi was saying to Rabbi Yochanan, you can eat it in my presence, just not in my presence. Okay. So the Gemara said, my Rabbi Shimon, we'll say, what's, what's the case? What's the Rabbi Shimon? What's the case of Rabbi Shimon? Desanya, here we go. We'll say, now we'll, we'll explain the Svichin a bit more. So the Gemara says, Desanya, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Kola Svichim Asurin, Chutz Me Sviche Kruv. In general, we say, Kola Svichin Asurin, Rashi says, Kola Svichin Asurin, Beshvias Mizman Abir Ve'ele, Chutz Me Sviche Kruv, General aftergrowth, I will say. So again, remember, you have a crop. You have a crop. The crop grew. Some of the seeds fell off the original crop, and now new aftergrowths grow. You are not permitted to eat those items on the Shem- during the Shemitah year. Why not? Ultimately, again, because the concern is that halacha lemaisa, you may come to plant new items on Shemitah as well. With the exception of, with the exception of the aftergrowths of cabbage. Because we'll say again, as Rashi points out, cabbage apparently is different. Even the aftergrowths come from the original stalk of the cabbage. So it's actually not considered to be a new plant. It's all part of the same old plant. Because cabbage is different. There is nothing else like cabbage that has a growth model like this. say, we don't make a distinction between cabbage and anything else. All aftergrowths are aser. Are aser. So the Gemara says, And both align themselves with Rabbi Akiva. The Sanya, Hain lo nizra, velo ne'esof estevu They will say, ultimately, again, what does the Torah say? By the Shemitah, right? The Pazah, the Chisomru, Manochal, Bashana HaShviyas, the Torah says, you're going to say, when you observe Shemitah, you're going to say to yourself, I, but what are we going to eat in the seventh year? We haven't planted anything. We haven't collected anything. So Rabbi Akiva says, the Pasuk doesn't seem to make sense. Because obviously, if you didn't plant anything, what is there to collect? Right? The Pasuk, listen, right? You hear the Pasuk reads, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? We haven't planted anything. We're not going to collect anything. Well, obviously, if you haven't planted anything, you can't collect anything. Rather, you see from this Pasuk that what? You see from this Pasuk that Svichin are also as well. So in other words, you could have items that you did not plant, yet they are ready to be harvested. What are those things? Those are the aftergrowth of Shemitah plants. But my commitment, the Gisabal says, so what are they arguing about? Rabbanan Savri, Gazri, Svichi, Kruv, Atushar, Svichin, Da'amo. So the Rabbanan will say, we are going to prohibit the aftergrowth of cabbage as well. Even though, you know, I want to be clear, they're not arguing on Messias. Everyone agrees that the aftergrowth of cabbage is different than the aftergrowth 
of anything else. We'll say, in fact, if we take a quick look at Rashi, just a moment. Rashi says over here, incredibly important. Everybody's agreeing on the Metzias. The Metzias is the same. It happens in general, the Isra of Svichin is, if you have a seed that comes off a plant, on Shemitah, during the Shemitah year, a seed comes off a plant, the seed falls into the ground, grows on its own. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. This all happened by itself. That's called aftergrowth. You cannot eat that on Shemitah. The concern is that if we allow you to eat that, you may come to plant. Everyone agrees that the cabbage plant is different. Why? Because I will say the way speaking work with cabbage is, it all comes from the original root plant. It all comes from the original item. Therefore, it's not really called Svichin. So what's the Machlokas? Here we go. Rabbonin Savri Gazunin Svichin Kruv Atashar Svichin the Alma. The Rabbonin say, we are concerned that if we let you eat the Svichin of cabbage, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to end up consuming other types of Svichin. Reb Shimon Savar, Lo Gazunin Svichin Kruv Atu Svichin the Alma. Shimon says, no, we're not concerned if we allow you to eat the Svichin, the aftergrowth of cabbage, that you're going to come to eat other aftergrowths because people know cabbage is different than anything else. Beautiful. Let's go ahead say a little bit. So let's remember again. So the Mishnah said, the Mishnah said, if you remember, the Mishnah said, Remember, let's go back about say to the original topic of the Mishnah. The original topic of the Mishnah was, a person does malacha. I also realize I have to be clear. The, the Mishnah itself, when it was talking about malacha on Erev Pesach, was talking about malacha before Chatzos on Erev Pesach. We're going to get into a discussion in the Gemara about this, about Malacha before Chatzos, Malacha after Chatzos. But remember, again, the Mishnah is talking about Ad Chatzos, which means Malacha done before Chatzos. Remember again, so the Mishnah said, if you go from a place... If you go from a place that has one minog before Chatzos, so it has a different minog, or vice versa, right? So let's say you go from a place that does malacha, doesn't do malacha, you have to go, the Mishnah said, what's ta'alacha? No sna'alav chumrei makom shiyatza misham, v'chumrei matam shalom. You take on the chumras of both places. Now watch this, Rebbe said, this is incredible. Bishfam al-lechimi makom sha'osin, l'makom sha'inosin. So I understand, if I go from, let's say I live in city A, and in city A, we do malacha before Chatzos and Erev Pesach. And now I go to city B. So what's that? Shein osin. So no son of chumri amakum shalach l'sham ba'ishana adam me'amachlokis v'loyve aved. So I understand. So I go from city A. So in my hometown, we do malacha before chatzos. I now go to city B. In city B, they don't do malacha. I'm sorry, before chatzos, they don't do malacha before chatzos. So therefore, we'll say, what's that? Lacha? What's that? Lacha? What's that? Lacha? I don't do malacha. Right? You give me the chumras of city B. And therefore, I won't do malacha before chatzos. But let's say again, in my city, we don't do malacha before chatzos. And I go to city B, I go away for Pesach, and I'm in a place, right, Erev Pesach, and they do malacha before chatzos. So what happens over here? So what should I do? Now we'll say, I come from a place where we don't do malacha before chatzos. And now, I come to a place, city B, they do malacha before chatzos. So now what should I do? I should dafka do malacha? I should do malacha? Ha'amrit nosin alav chumri amakom shalach l'sham. V'chumri amakom shiyatza misham. I, but one second, we learned also that whenever you go to a new place, we give you both. We give you the chumras of your place of origin and the chumras of your place where you are now. Which means that technically speaking, the chumras of my hometown, I already don't do malacha, still apply as well. Amrabai Aresh. Rabai says, you're right. This statement only applies to the first case. It only applies to a case where we'll say, where I come from a place where we do malacha before chatzos, I come to a new place where they don't do malacha before chatzos, and therefore, Allah Chalamai say, now in my new place, I can't do malacha before chatzos. Rava Amr the Olama Seifa. Rava says, no, no, no. It could be even on the second part of the Mishnah. Fahi Kamar. listen to this. Rava says, don't worry about it. If you come to, we'll say, if I come from a place where we don't do malacha, and I come now to a place where they do malacha, so I don't have to do malacha before chatzos on Erev Pesach. 
Why not I? But isn't that going to be a departure from the communal norm? No, my comrade, Haroah Omer Melacha Asura. So I'm sorry, my, my comrade, Haroah Omer Melacha Asura. So what's going to happen about if I come to City B and in City B they don't do they do Melacha before Chatzos, and I'm saying that I'm not doing Melacha. So what are you worried about? That people are going to say, oh, he's so machmir that he doesn't do malacha before chatzos. They're not going to say that. Neymar Amri, kama batlani havi bishuka. There are plenty of people about say who don't do work. Right? Plenty of people who don't work. In other words, that halacha lemaisif, I come from a city where ultimately, again, they don't do malacha on Erev Pesach before Chatzos. And I come now to a city where they do malacha on Erev Pesach before Chatzos. And I'm sitting there, I'm not doing malacha. That doesn't have the appearance of departure from the communal norm. What does it look like? What does it look like? I'm just not working. And there are plenty of people, the Gemara says, There are plenty of people who sit doing nothing in the marketplace all day, and not just on Erev Pesach, but every day as well. So therefore, non-performance of Malacha does not look like a departure from communal norm. Also, we stop over, pick up, and we with this Gemara tomorrow. Shkoyach.